tonight is Psalm 23. If you, I invite you to turn there if you'd like. Otherwise, it's on the screen. You could follow along. What are we doing, Val? With these? Are these? Is this ESV here or New, or New King James? This the New King. Okay. This is the the very word of God. Psalm 23. David says here, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 to 48. Again, this is the very word of God. Then he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Hold on one second. Where's the uh, charger for this, Travis? Oh, I bet it's in the office. Okay, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Do you have one with you? It's probably in the office, right? Unless it's locked. <laughs> okay. Rewind. I'll start over. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding... That when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. 
Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him into and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Well, let's pray. Well, thank you, God, for your word and for your desire to speak to us through it. And I ask that you would open up our ears that we might hear you. This evening, open up our eyes that we might see Jesus tonight. Lord, allow us to receive and apply as you desire according to each life here. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, that's a long passage, right? Uh, now, I'm very blessed to be able to share the Word of God tonight with you all. Um, I'll be reading from the Holman here um, in Luke. And um, I know we just read from the New King for our references there. But. Luke chapter 12. Kingdom readiness. So, Starts in verse 22 here. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, we have to go back. We know this We know this rule, right? When we see the word therefore, we have to find out what Jesus is referencing here in this particular teaching. And he's referencing a parable that he gives um, based on a question uh, that he is um, asked regarding the sharing or the dividing of an inheritance. And the parable, we know this, um, if you guys want to go back a little bit in Luke chapter 12, we see that Jesus says in verse 16, a rich man's land was very productive and he thought to himself, what shall I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink and enjoy yourself But God said to him, you fool, 
this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus here is 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 using the reference pointing back to this. And what he's saying is that the only lasting treasure available for any man is the treasure of one who is rich toward God. And that's that's why we had to see the context prior to our text tonight. So what is it to be rich toward God? It's just the opposite. Again, seeing what Jesus teaches here, the opposite of laying up treasure for yourself. Now, the idea, too, that we're going to see of, of not being anxious actually has a string that goes through this whole chapter. Um, even back to the beginning when, when Jesus says not to fear man, not to fear the one who can kill your body alone, but fear the one who can destroy your body and soul in hell. Um, and so fear and anxiety and so forth, basically we're seeing Jesus teach us that a life of faith is what's necessary and Fear and anxiety have no place mixed with faith. You cannot say that I am being anxious by faith. That's impossible. You cannot say that I am a fearing man by faith. We, we cannot please God in that way. So, to be rich towards God is, is the opposite of laying up treasure for yourself. And we need to see this distinction too that I think normally we might read this passage about, you know, not worrying about our lives, what we should eat, what we should wear, and so forth. And we think to ourselves, well, God will provide. But it's not only to the the poor or those who might deem themselves poor that this is directed. It's to the rich as well, because this is right after this parable, you know, regarding the man who had all this stuff. He was being anxious about the abundance of things that he had. Right. So it's just about being anxious. Period. Not about being anxious that you will be provided for. Rich or poor. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says this and. like manner in Matthew chapter 6. He says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. And just like further on in Luke 12 and 33 and 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we see that since the man who dies, who didn't know his soul was required of him that night, since he dies and then who's, who's going to get all your stuff now, Right? Since he loses everything, we don't want to be like him. He was anxious in this life. This applies to rich and poor alike. In verse 23, Jesus says, Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And again, if we're going to apply this to, uh, to your, state of light, regard, your state of life, regardless of what you have, again, rich or poor, life is more than attaining things if you don't have it and it's more than managing things if you do see life just isn't about the things jesus is saying it's not about what you eat 
whether you don't have food or whether you're like, oh, let's see, scallops or lobster. Either way, life is not about food. It's not about clothing. Whether you are looking to get clothing because you have none or you're saying, which suit will I wear today? You see what I'm saying? Life is about the kingdom of God. And we are to be rich towards God. So when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, he's leaving no room for anxiety. Time spent troubled about the cares of your life is time wasted. Whether you have little or you have much. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Paul gave a good example in this in Philippians chapter 4. If you guys would like to turn there. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. This is verse 12. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In every circumstance, Paul is given by the grace of Christ the ability to seek first the kingdom. To not worry about his lack or his abundance, but to focus on Jesus alone. To have a heart that is united for the kingdom of God and not a heart that is struggling between focusing on God and living for him and focusing on yourself and living for you, you see. Jesus explains the error of living as if food and clothing were our only concern back in Luke chapter 12. Continuing on in verse 24, we see that he says to consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have a storeroom or a barn, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Can any of you add a cubit to his height by worrying? If you're not able to do even this little thing, then why worry about the rest? The ravens don't have a hand in any part of the process of their food supply. They don't find any land. They don't work the land and then find the seed and plant the seed and care for it and look after it and protect it and manage it and harvest it at the right time. On top of that, they don't store their harvest for the future in a structure that's made for the storage. Right? Where did the structure come from? They didn't have to obtain the supplies and build something sufficient for the storage. The ravens don't do any of this. These are all the things that we're all concerned about. But God provides for them. That's what Jesus tells us. He's, use use your, your observance of the birds as an illustration that you are not to be, well, like the world. And how is the world? Well, the world is in... Continual great concern about, you know, the, the whole process here that I just mentioned that the ravens don't do. And then Jesus says, of how much more value are you than the birds? Or put it this way, does God take care of the birds in this way because he sees them as more valuable than you? I don't think so. 
We're to look at the ravens and we're to see that God takes care of them. And since he cares for us immensely more than we are to say, well, I, I can back off of my anxiety. I can let it go and let God take care of me because he's taking care of the birds. How does the love of God for the birds compare with the love of God for you, little flock, like Jesus says? Which of the birds did God send his son to die for? Which of the birds or any other creature for that matter did Jesus empty himself for to become like a man and die in their place to pay for their sins on a cross? Which of the birds or the beasts or the fish or anything other than man did the blood of Christ flow for in order that his death, in his death, God's wrath would be satisfied? Jesus is the propitiation for his church, not for the ravens. Jesus didn't die for the sins of the birds. He died for the sins of his own. Completely and fully. Which, which bird, which animal was Jesus buried for and raised from the dead for and ascended into heaven for? And, and which bird is he making intercession for? And who is he coming back for? He cares for us so much. And we try to be the opposite of the bird, don't we? We try to put all of our energy into what, we'll, what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear and and Jesus says to that, O oh, you of little faith, how much more value are you than the birds? Worry never accomplishes anything good. It can never add good. It only adds hurt. It only adds bad. In fact, did you guys ever consider that anxiety is never neutral? It's always evil. It's always sin. Anxiety is always sin. We're not told to cast our anxieties, well, and then parenthetically, most of them, on Christ. We're told to get them off of ourselves and cast our cares upon our Lord because He cares for us. He cares for us in such a greater manner than He does for the birds. Anxiety is sin. And it's not harsh to say that. It's, it's healing to know that. It's healing because the truth will set us free. So that we're not bound to a disconnect from God as we focus on ourselves. God doesn't want us to worry about our own lives. Not even a little good can come from worrying. We can't add one cubit to our stature. And then he goes on to talk about the flowers after the birds. Think of Solomon. He was so wise. He was so knowledgeable. He had such resources. Nothing held him back regarding the clothing he could choose to wear. Nothing. He could, he could pick anything he wanted, and if he didn't have it, he could get it. And if it wasn't there, he could make it. And Jesus says in verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor. They don't spin thread. And yet I tell you, Solomon in all his splendor was not adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious. The Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things. 
Your father knows that you need them. The flowers have no wisdom, no knowledge, no brain for taste and beauty. The ability to to choose a splendor that fits them, but God makes their beauty greater than Solomon's in all his glory. The one with little faith is the one who is anxious about his life. Something new is added in verse 29, and that is, we're not only to not be anxious, but we are shown what we're not to seek. In verse 29, we are not to keep striving for what we should eat and what we should drink and what we should, how we should live. So we're not to be anxious, it's to be absent from our lives, and we're not to seek after those things, but we are conversely supposed to seek after our Savior and His kingdom. Verse 30, there's, there's more than seeking these. The world seeks these things Jesus is talking about. And you're not of the world any longer. You've been saved from it and been put into the kingdom of God. You have been saved, dear ones, to seek that which the Father is delighted to give you, the kingdom. All of your physical needs, he knows them. You will be taken care of. Seek his kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Verse 31. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father delights to give you the kingdom. And here we see again, um, I know I I referenced this passage when I was praying this morning, but, you know, Jesus says twice regarding uh, a father giving, you know, food to his child. Um, When your son asks for sustenance, you're not going to give him something dangerous, right? Is the basic gist of the passages. In one passage, he says, well, if you being evil know how to give, you know, good gifts to your children, then, um, then, you know, so much more your father in heaven will give, uh, give you whatever you ask. That's in one. And the other, and I believe it's in Luke, forgive me for not knowing, but the other is when he says, so much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit. See? Because it's not so much that we're saying, Lord, I need bread or I need clothes. It's, Lord, I need you. He's the one that will provide everything else. It's the same thing here when Jesus says uh, in verse 32, Don't be afraid, little flock, your, little flock. Your father delights to give you, well, food and clothing. And No, he doesn't say that. The father delights to give you the kingdom because that's what you should be seeking. Everything else will come. Everything else will come as it should in his timing and in his care. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes in and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here, again, like we referenced from Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus is saying that there is no room in your heart for two masters. Or three. Let's just say there's no room in your heart for more than one. That's the point being made. You, you cannot divide up your devotion to multiple masters. In fact, I would go so far as to say that God is not our master if indeed our heart is divided amongst any other than him and trying to share it with him at the same time. Continuing on in verse 35, we see Jesus 
basically saying that we are to be ready. He's using another parable. Be ready for the master's return. Now, this section seems new, but it's connected because, because hear me, if you're free from anxiety, then you're free to wait for your master. And if your life is full of anxiety, then you will not be able to wait for your master, like Jesus is saying here. He says in verse 35, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You must be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. So we see this idea of staying staying dressed and ready for action, um, girding your waist, your lamps are burning, always being ready to go, being ready to move, being ready to serve, you're unencumbered. It, it brings my recollection to when the Passover was instituted in Egypt prior to God's people um, being led out by Moses, when Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. They are to be like, ready to go when the time comes. The girded loins, the um, the um, the lamps burning, right? You don't want to have to light the lamp when the times come. You don't want to have to gird your loins when the time comes. Verse 11 in Exodus 12 says this, In this manner you shall eat it, this is talking about the Passover, with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, with a staff in your hand, and so you shall eat in haste, is the direction given by God. So they are to eat ready to go. And so let's let's be clear, the Lord is not saying here, be ready to be ready. Right? Like, I understand this readiness that God is speaking of. And I feel as though I am in the place where I am ready to accept that readiness and embark on it when the time comes. Well, you failed. I failed. It's not that I'm mentally prepared to get ready for what I must be ready for. (laughs) It's sin. It's wrong. It's wrong to know what to do and then not to do it. Verse 36. We must be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and and he knocks, we're ready to go. The door should immediately be opened when the master knocks. We don't want to be spiritually asleep, okay? It's not that we can't sleep, right? This is this is a picture. It's a parable. But we don't want to be spiritually asleep. We don't want to have to go light our lamp. We don't want to have to go gird our loins. The master is expecting immediate admittance And then blessings are in store for such servants who are waiting and who are watching and who are ready. Great blessings. Blessings where the master comes home and not he doesn't come home and and say, "Okay, now now you may serve me because that would be appropriate, wouldn't it? But he says, now I will serve you. That's what Jesus says in the text here. Now, in drawing the line from this parable to our lives, we don't want to get the idea that as servants of the master's household, we aren't supposed to be um, just waiting at the door. Whatever responsibilities are ours in this house, we are to carry out in anticipation of his return. So whatever your life 
looks like and the will of God, we are to be, well, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 19, um, occupying until he comes or keeping about his business or, or keep trading what you are to, to, to trade until the master returns. We're not supposed to just sit there and wait and do nothing. Say, I'm waiting for my master. Well, can you help me over here? I can. I'm waiting for my master. Right? The idea is that we're always ready in our hearts for his return. We're always about his business. We're always being faithful servants in his house in anticipation of his return. It reminds me of 1 Peter one thirteen, and I'm going to turn there quickly. The apostle... It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So while our minds are prepared for action, while we are sober minded and while our hope is fully set on that grace that will be brought to us when Jesus is revealed, we keep about our master's business. And here are the blessings in store. If you're among the blessed, the master won't come home and expect to be served. Like I said, he will serve those blessed ones. And it doesn't matter when he comes, we are to be ready. If it's the the first, the second, the third watch, it, it doesn't matter because our hearts should always be his. Verse 39 says, Know this, if the homeowner had known it, What hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at at an hour that you do not expect. We don't know when, but we know that he is coming, and we do know what manner of servants we ought to be while we wait for him. And then Peter poses this question to the Lord. Basically, who does this apply to? In verse 41, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And I think the answer is, is right there in the question itself because Peter addresses him as Lord. This parable applies to all those who would call Jesus Lord. And that's why in his further explanation later on in this passage, Jesus talks about those who are to be beaten with rods severely. He's not talking about his own children there. He's talking about those who are only and merely in the visible church. They say God is their Savior. They say, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I've been walking with God. They could even say, as, as uh, Pastor Leonard referenced this morning from Matthew chapter 7, I've cast out demons in your name. I've done many, many miracles in your name. These are amazing things. I've never cast out a demon. Um, but some will stand there on that day and claim to be God's child, claim to be one of His because of those things that they have done in His name. And Jesus will say, Depart from Me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so, it's just like if you guys are familiar, you don't, we don't have time to turn there now, but if you want to reference it later from Hebrews chapter 10, prior to that, to that uh, famous reference to Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, uh, the author to the letter of the Hebrews speaks of those who seem to be at one point in the family of God and then and now they are not and there's no more sacrifice for them now that they've left, now that they've gone. But what the author is saying there and what Jesus says here and he says it not only in this parable but he says it in others. For instance, the parable of the talents. There are those who 
are his for sure. There are those who are not, but then there are those who are not, but they think that they are. And that's who Jesus is talking to. Don't you suppose that just because you have a claim on me, that that actually holds any weight, he's saying. And if you know all of these things and your heart really isn't his when he returns, then you will be held accountable for that in a more severe manner than, let's say, those who weren't of the house. Picture it like this. Jesus is saying the master is not going to come home and and then turn around when he's not greeted at the door as he should be and turn around and go back into the town and punish them for not greeting him. They weren't the servants of the house. So, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, to answer Peter's question, are unbelievers responsible to look for Christ's return? I say no. They're responsible to, to believe in Jesus. John chapter 16, 8 through 11. They will be judged because they do not believe in the Son. Obedient servants will be given more responsibility and be given more, again, like the, like the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And actually, if we could turn there quickly. And we can just start in verse 19, Matthew 25, 19. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he would receive the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not... Even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please know that Jesus will never say that of any of his own. He is saying that of one of the three servants, but only two of them were truly his. The third was just a servant by name and proved that he had no interest in serving his master by his actions. And even the false hope of being a servant of the master, even that false hope was taken away from him. So now he didn't even have that. You see, at the beginning, he was part of that group of servants. And he actually relied on his hope, false though it may be. And God is saying, I'm taking that away. 
I'm taking that away too. You don't even get your temporary comfort and your delusion. So back to back to Luke. Chapter 12. The disobedient servant's fate that we see in Luke chapter 12 is similar to what we just read in Matthew chapter 25. In verse 48 of Luke chapter 12, the Lord says this, the one who did not know and did these and did things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much and even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. You see the similarity between Luke and Matthew there. Those who are not the Lord's and yet called him Lord have a severe punishment. And this is still all part of seeking his kingdom. Now, if we are to be about our father's business, if we are to be occupying until he comes, like Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, I believe, if we are to be those who are waiting at the door with the lamps burning, and again, that's spiritually speaking, that's a state of our heart. If we are to be those people like Peter says in, in his epistle, to, to gird up the loins of our mind, to be sober, to rest our hope fully upon the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, then our lives must be free from anxiety. That's, there's the connection. We cannot expect for Jesus to return in order to continue to serve us And we in our humility would say, hasn't he served us enough? But he in his love would say, my service is eternal. And we will be recipients of such grace if by that same grace we can cast all of our anxieties upon him and seek first his kingdom, knowing when we look at the birds, when we look at the flowers, that he will take care of us in order that we can then just look at him. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your great care for us. And forgive us for, for when we do let our hearts stray. And with the psalmist, we ask that you would unite our hearts to fear your name. We don't want to have any division. We want to be all in for all of you. We want to love you with everything that we are, and we know that this is your work. So we ask, God, that you would do that work in us by your Spirit and draw us to yourself. Lord, show us where we hold on to things that we shouldn't and grant us that we might let them go and hold on to you with everything that we are. Lord, so that we might be in a state acceptable to you at your return, pleasing unto you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand and sing. Once more, shall we? Number 345.
glorious things of thee are spoken. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.